Welcome everybody to Digital Cowboys Video Games, episode 90, dated Friday the 30th of January 2009. I'm a regular host, Alex Shaw. And I'm Tony Atkins. And we have no Paul this week, as we're talking mainly about RPGs, in particular Fallout 3, and he just plain hates the whole genre. Ever since, uh, what, Final Fantasy 7, he's dabbled, but never found a new RPG to his liking. But we have, as usual, a completely packed episode. Our main feature is Fallout 3 and the Rise of the Western RPG. We've got a competition, for the first time in ever. Uh, followed by what you've been playing, and then your emails, and then we'll be getting out of here. So, okay, first off, music fans, because Paul's not here, he's not able to tell you news about Guitar Hero Metallica and its song list, but it has just recently been announced. I'm not going to go into painstaking detail about it, but uh, suffice to say there's some awesome songs on there. Ace of Spades by Motorhead, so at long last we can play the Ace of Spades. God help us all, again. Again. <laughs> We've got Battery, at long last, we can play that. Nah, I'm kidding, right, okay, we've got uh, awesome Metallica songs, Creeping Death, and to Sandman's Back with a Vengeance, so we don't have to mourn that's lost on Rock Band. Uh, Fade to Black, awesome Metallica song. Uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Frantic, Fuel, King Nothing, I've always loved, Nothing Else Matters, Seeker Destroy, Stacked Actors by the Foo Fighters, Sad But True, One... So, as Paul mentioned a while ago, there was precedent uh, with a uh, previous Guitar Hero song turning up at a later Guitar Hero game. What was it, that uh, French song? Oh, I wish he was here. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, it's a list, but and it, yeah. the good thing about it is that it's got a big selection of Metallica songs, which you want, and it's got a really strong backup list to it as well. True. Yeah, actually, but, it, it looks so much stronger than the Aerosmith one because, as opposed to just a long list of songs that I don't like by uh, Aerosmith and don't know, it's. I mean, this is a band that I followed since I was a very, very young kid. I, mean, I, I followed Aerosmith as well, but unlike Guitar Aerosmith, they've got all the important ones, and they're not going. Oh, maybe at a later date we'll give you the memory remains, but uh, until that time, uh, you got you know st- songs you don't want to play. But it's going to be a rock hard game. I would imagine so, yeah. And, and incredibly long as well. Just the first five tracks will take you a good evening to, to finish. So, uh, yeah. Looking forward to it, though. Okay, moving on. One Up Yours is back on the air. Sort of. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Heard last week's episode. Uh, good stuff. Um, really hoping that that um, kind of pans out. They're not going to have everyone back, obviously, because a lot of them have gone their separate ways. But um, if, if Garnet's there, then that at least means that One Up Yours is still going. And if, I can but hope that... Uh, Pretty much one of my favourite podcasts ever is, uh, you know, remains in some degree, in some, in spirit, if nothing else. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, it was my favourite podcast ever. I mean, obviously, some people wouldn't agree, and we feel like we've been going on it over and over and over again. But it was nice to hear that, you know, the guys back, and obviously Shane Bettenhouse is off, and um, you know, I, I think Skip Fist is going to be off as well. So. It, I don't think it's ever going to be quite the same, but um, it was nice to hear you know the whole group back together doing a three and a half hour show, and you know Garnet crying at least two times in that. So <laughs> it was nice to hear hear from him at all, actually, because he, he was very quiet for many weeks. Right, you had something to say about the gaming industry at the moment? Yeah, and we were at the we're at the end of the uh, what they you know their quarter of releasing figures and stuff before we move into the next one. Um, and basically, it's almost like a wrap-up of what ha- actually happened in, in 2008 in the industry-wise. I guess the big news is that the industry has been growing year after year and after year, and um, 2008 saw no different with, um, I think, the gaming industry hitting around the 22 billion mark in 2008, which is just 
I mean, who knows? To me, that sounds absolutely massively incredible. And uh, they're basically saying it's a, like a 22% jump over the year before. And they're expecting roughly the same kind of figures for next year. And obviously, don't know whether we're all going to have houses next year. So who knows? Um, <laughs> well, it's a possibility. On top of that, um, a really interesting piece of news came out, I believe, today, where it, it looks like the UK, as in just the UK, is actually going to in, uh, eclipse Japanese uh, overall sales in 2009. Um, just if it follows the current trend, um, it's, it would mean Japan, Japan becomes the third market in that, and the UK is, you know, growth has always been big, but it's, it looks like it's, you know, it's going to be pretty much the second biggest player in, in the industry, which... Well, I'd, we've all believed it's going to be, uh, you know, it's been coming for a long time. But that means really that Western development game, well, the Western style development games become more and more important. And, you know, the Japanese flavor gets kind of pushed to the side because, you know, the figures to make money are already small. And if uh, another market is over overtaking that, it becomes smaller still. And I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing um, for us. Obviously, a good thing. But, you know, it, it's nice to have variety. Yeah. What do you think? I, I love the fact that uh, we're now get, getting more of a power. There's also specifically a major element of the gaming industry is powered by Britain. It's not just the fact that we're buying. It's the Rockstar and various, I mean, who, uh, Media Molecule, my yeah. big planet. And so we've actually, we're, we're home-growing some real talent there. So it's, it's not just we're buying, we're, <laughs> we're making some exceptionally good games. I mean, who would have thought that Sony's big game of last year that wouldn't necessarily be Metal Gear Solid... A, a game from people from Brighton? Seriously. Yeah, more yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but, uh, I'm pleased with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, um, it, time will tell. But, Regarding um, the 22 billion, I'm not surprised. I think it's the, the game industry is inflating while uh, other industries are in times of serious change. Like music well, it's and film. official now that um, the game industry is, is definitely bigger than the DVD uh, industry, mm. which, you know, obviously then you have the cinema takings. It doesn't quite eclipse all that. But, uh, yeah, DVD sales have been shrinking for a long time now where gaming sales have been increasing. So I think it, as much as uh, we uh, hate piracy and DRM and things like that the, the, the games industry's pretty much got it sewn up insofar as if you want to play Halo 3 you have to buy an Xbox the amount of people that I've, I've spoke to a guy yeah, yeah, the other day I'm not going to say his name and I was saying you should go see uh, Slumdog and he went oh I'm going to go see my bloody Valentine 3D good luck with that uh, but on the way home I might see Slumdog uh, at a mate's house and I was like seriously go to the cinema and see Slumdog at the cinema but he, it, it just seemed alien to him to actually go and see a film that he wasn't, you know, too interested in, but but to actually have to go and see it at the cinema as opposed to just watching it on pirate or download it or on some weird ass way. It's too easy to see movies in a dodgy way at the moment. And I think um, because people don't prize quality so much. I mean, this is a whole different this is a whole different discussion. But um, I, the, the games industry, because it is so very specific about what you have to do and the hoops you have to jump through and the things you have to buy to actually play them, it can only increase at the moment. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd be interesting times because who knows what 09 holds for, for you know companies. I mean, I don't want to get involved in it here, but there's a you know Sony have reported record losses you mm. know this year. Uh, I mean, the industry has grown overall, but Sony are reporting record losses and job cuts. Microsoft are uh, reporting losses and you know and um, job cuts, and uh, Nintendo are smoking a hundred dollar bills. Yeah, and employing people. It, what they could actually do is employ a few people to actually make Wii's in the factories and not just keep running out of stock. That would be a uh, well, maybe employ all those poor people that Sony have to lay off, and maybe somewhere in the middle, Wii will start getting better. Yeah. 
Sorry, that's, that's, there is yeah. maybe a discussion we can have in the future about, uh, is the, uh, games industry really recession proof? Because well, uh, it's been banned then, around quite a lot at the moment, especially in Edge. And then of course, uh, you know, another argument would be, well, you know, the game industry picked up, you know, record, um, growth, uh, last year. Um, but, you know, is that all to do with Nintendo? And it's, you know, are the other consoles basically just following the same old line that they've been doing for the last 10 years? And is it Nintendo actually just expanding the market? And, they, you know, I think there's some evidence to suggest that maybe is, but. And indeed, as the, uh, the amount of people who, uh, own a Wii, which critical mass, can it keep going year after year and actually have that kind of growth? Or, or will it just start to shrink again? Because everyone's got a Wii, everyone's cheesed off with the Wii, and Nintendo have nothing new! But anyway. <laughs> Which brings us on. Um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll skip. I'll go straight into this one. Which yeah. brings us to the um, the top selling games of 08. Um, I mean, Edge has done a, a rough list because it's, it's very, very hard to actually um, draw a list up of um, different different countries and their sales figures because they don't really talk to each other. But Edge has kind of done a bit of digging around and they've come up with you know their top five what they think has sold games of the, uh, yeah. the year. And I don't think this actually... I think this is just the UK or Europe and uh, the States, but not Japan. Oh, man. I'm looking at it now. Is it just... Is it a list from one to six? Yeah, I'm going to go from five backwards. Well, yeah, because six is so... It's. I mean, it's a good game, but for actually, God's it's that. joint fifth. Joint fifth. So, right. you, I mean, joint fifth. You got Call of Duty, World of War, um, right. at seven million units. Super Smash Brothers Brawl at seven million units. Now, so I don't know anyone who got Super Smash Brothers Brawl, but then again, we don't really know many fourteen-year-olds. <laughs> Paul got it, but think, never played it. So exactly. I, I think it's a massive game in the states, and obviously, Call of Duty is very much big worldwide. I'm just wondering um, if people bought Call of Duty purely for the name and not because it was, you know, uh, repeatedly that good a game. Quite possibly. Mm. Well, the franchise see, is, see also many games on this list, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, number four, you've got Wii Fit. I mean, I think if you, anyone cool. listened to our E3 discussion the previous year, we, we said it's going to be one of the top-selling games of the year, and guess what? Nine million copies sold. It's doing all right for itself, and that's not even including the Japanese sales, which I think it's done. Probably would have sold more. It's just that you have they had to keep making the damn peripherals for it. If you could do Wii Fit with just your um, uh, Wii Mo, that would be the biggest game of all time. But at the same time, the the peripheral is the game. That's like a seventy dollar, yeah, seventy dollars, seventy quid game. Mm. There it is, along with Guitar Hero, various platforms uh, sitting there, pretty at ten million. Not a cheap game, but there you go. Oh, uh, the guys above us just got Guitar Hero uh, World Tour, and uh, I've been listening to the other side of drumming um, <laughs> for the last two nights. <laughs> just tap, 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 tap. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to try and keep it down for my neighbours below me. Uh-huh. Um, at number two, Mario Kart Wii, 11 million copies. Yep. Good game, but you know, good. 11 million? Wow. Seriously. Um, and number one, predictably, no yeah, no surprises. Grand Theft Auto 4, 13 million copies uh, across all platforms, which, you know, the the hype that's surrounding it and the, uh, you know, the, the tens that are tens that came from everywhere, not justified, as we keep saying. And not from but, us, I might add. Yeah, um, 13 million copies. So, I don't know, I mean, you look at that list and you, you've got Mario Kart, Wii Fit and Smash Brothers from Nintendo, but here's the big problem, they're all from Nintendo, no third-party software needed to be seen. Um, Grand Theft Auto particularly at number one and Guitar Hero you know, still stomping rock band for its competition So, yeah. I'm going to do a, a, a sum at some point so how much did Microsoft give to Rockstar 
for the uh, rights to have exclusive DLC. Fifty million dollars. Fifty million, and uh, it sold thirteen million copies. How many of them would you say were on the three sixty? Wasn't it like a copy, two to one in the end on the three sixty two PS? Yeah, two to one, three to one. It was quite high in the end. Okay, so it's something like uh, let's just say. 8 million people have a 360. There will be a bit of intermission music here while I work out this <laughs> this sum. <laughs> and we're back, and the results of that are... If 8 million people all own Grand Theft Auto on the Xbox 360, and Microsoft need... 50 million back just to break even with uh, getting the exclusive DLC and that's just on the first one remember because they've got at least one more or maybe two yeah they've got two yeah, yeah two in total so. just to break even just on the first one they need half that's 50% of people to uh, buy the DLC at £13 each which is uh, 1600 points so that's that's uh, ooh. do you think that that 50% of people who bought Grand Theft Auto are honestly going to buy the Lost and the Damned. I think you spread it over both uh, both pieces of DLC. Yeah. I think you may. I mean, I, well, if, I suppose it, if you divide that into three, and then uh, if if only one third of fifty percent um, buy all three pieces, then you've still broken even. Mm-mm. It's still. I, I'm not sure how many people are going to do it though, because it's a lot of people that I've spoken to just get annoyed with Grand Theft Auto or haven't played it in a long time. Mm. Well, we'll, we'll see if it pays off. Yeah, I, well, I don't even know whether they, they even want to, it, it to pay off. I, I think at the time it was just to get people to buy that version. I mean, how many more versions? And it worked, I suppose, yeah, two to one. How many versions sold more? I mean, who knows? We don't know that those yeah. kind of figures, but, you yeah, know, we shall see. Okay, right. Which, on, I shall bring... So, yeah, I mean, this ultimately brings us to the thing that everyone always says, you know, this is the thing that changes consoles, and, and this is basically the exclusive deals with um, with companies to bring out their content. So whether it's, you know, Microsoft bringing out their own game or, or Sony, you know, signing up Konami to bring out Metal Gear Solid 4. Right. 4. And um, there was a, a post up that's just talking about, the, you know, the big winners and the big losers. And uh, it's interesting just to see some of the figures. Um, the Fable 2, an exclusive Microsoft product, uh, went on to sell 1.2 million copies in the States. These are all US figures, and, you know, I guess, you know, it's, it's probably going to be, you know, Maybe half half of Mount again if you look in the UK side. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's pretty much a success then for them, which is nice to see. Um, one of you finally get a, a big success under his belt. Um, surprisingly, Little Big Planet and Resistance Two only sold in the region about six hundred thousand copies each. That States. doesn't surprise me. It's Resistance Two more so because you know that was their big shooter of the year, and obviously shooters in general sell more than any other game. So only hitting at six hundred thousand. Don't know. That's, it doesn't surprise me because it's as, as awesome as Little Big Planet is, and as, as massively well reviewed as it is, it's really difficult to get your average teenage male gamer interested in f- cute little fluffy toys bouncing around the place. It's um, it's it's more of one of those games that's going to appeal to everyone else apart from the key demographic of gamers, uh, which surely should have paid off for Sony. It's just that unfortunately there aren't that many you know of the Wii crowd who own PS3s. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of plan. I think I believe I saw a post. It's, it's sold about 1.1 million now mm. worldwide, which I think is everything that really Media Molecule wanted. But you know, it's such a marketing push on that mm. game from Sony for so long, about two years. So I mean, don't know, to me it seems like a low number, but then you know, it's an unusual game. 
And the biggest one here, I mean, Metal Gear Solid 4 did extremely well, and obviously Gears of War 2 did, you know, I think the region like 3 million copies so far, you know, you just bet both those do very well. But the big one here for me, which is a real disappointment, is um, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, which apparently in the States managed to sell 140,000 units. Ooh. Uh, now, are you going to yeah. talk about that in games you've been playing? I will talk about that in games you've been playing, but to say I'm slightly upset with that number is, um, yeah, it's not even funny. So, More on later then. Okay. Yeah, but as for the news of this week, it's been a, a weird old week. There's lots of kind of DLC relevant news and whatnot, but you know nothing that particularly grabs our attention. So I don't know. have you seen that Mirror's Edge third person thing? Yeah, <laughs> it just breaks the game. Yeah, totally. Everyone complaining about oh, you should be able to play Mirror's Edge in third person. You shouldn't. It makes it totally non-special. I, I may not like Mirror's Edge much, but the one thing that it did that was original, as in a first person non-shooter. <laughs> I really like that, and it had a sense of kineticism and a sense of speed, and you don't get that if you're following this trundling behemoth for the woman, of a woman, just sort of... Yeah, no, third person doesn't work. Anyway. Mm. Right, well, shall we move... news, yeah. Yes, that was the news, as it's fit to print. Let's go on to our main feature, which is Fallout 3 and the rise of the Western RPG. Oh, it's Christmas at Brown Zero, and if the radiation level's Free. So I finished it the other day. Oy. Um, <laughs> lost. I mean, I don't think anyone should ever be forced to play that much Fallout in the space of a week. I, I played and played and played, and yeah. I'm kind of done with it now. To the point where the uh, the idea of going to Anchorage and getting that DLC for 800 points was quite terrifying to me, and uh, it's it's already been sold. So um, anyway, I mean, it's it's right. It is a great game. I will say that right now. We're going to say some things about it that probably aren't all that complimentary, but it is important to state right now, for the record, from from my point of view at least, it's a great game. Yeah, I'm not, I think we'll obviously cover some of the points of you know why it's a good game in the forthcoming segment, but um, it is it is a very ambitious and very huge and large game, and at times I absolutely loved it, and at times I wanted to throw it out the window and get really annoyed with it. Me too. But um. Overall, yes, it's it is one of the you know one of the more interesting games that were released last year. So the plot um, for those who are unfamiliar with Fallout, and we are going to have some spoilers maybe, but we'll put them later on, maybe at the very very end, and uh, that way we can talk about the the the, the end part portion of the game um, without upsetting anyone who is currently playing it. Fair enough. Right, plot such as it is is um, following on for the other two Fallout games. You. Um, are in the future, something like 200 years in the future or something, um, and it's a sort of a 50s-style America, and you're in the wasteland of Washington, and you get out of your vault where you've been living your entire life and go off in search of your dad. And you basically wander around this Mad Max bleached, you know, horrible, horrible environment which has been ravaged by warfare and bombs and things. And everywhere is radioactive, and all the water's radioactive, and all the people you meet are basically wearing pieces of, like, scraps 
sewn together and bits of old sporting equipment and things just to sort of, you know, stay alive. And, and it's a horrible, mean environment. And there's a black, twisted sense of humor running through the game. Because, quite frankly, if there wasn't a sense of humor, you'd just kill yourself. It's that fucking grim the whole way through. So, yeah, it's it's a series of um, open-ended quests. You don't have to do anything apart from the core quest to get through. And there's a lot of um, really interesting sort of plot, uh, sorry, non-plot related quests, which you would, you'd have to stumble upon to actually find. So um, therein lies the beauty and indeed terror of the game itself at how incredibly massive it is. It is the definition of non-linear. I can't imagine a game that Paul is more likely to be freaked out by than being sat down in the middle of it and told, you can go anywhere, talk to anyone, do anything. Um, the only saving grace for him, of course, would be to, you, you can blow folks' heads off with a shotgun at extremely close range and there's horrendous amounts of gore. So, I mean, Tony, could you give your impressions on it? Because I haven't been able to talk to you about it much and we've been storing this up. <laughs> yeah, when well, I, I finished a couple of weeks back, but um, I mean, what I can say about it, I mean, it's, I find it to be one of the, I mean, we always complain about games not being for the hardcore crowd anymore and, you know, they're all getting easier and, and you know, less complex. And I think this is the, you know, what's the, what's the word that you put here? Antithesis? Yeah, antith- yeah antithesis of um, a game that does everything different from that. I mean, you, you get chucked out for the vault and you go, well, off you go then. And you just, it, you're like, wow, this, this world is, it's huge, it's amazing, it, it looks beautiful, where the hell do I go? And um, hopefully you, the first place you find is Megaton because that's like a, a central hub town. Um, <laughs> I liked it very much. I, I, graphically, it's it's really, really interesting. I mean, a, the broken down DCs is, is, I guess, even more powerful for the States. But seeing it even from you know, our Brit eyes, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting architecturally. Mm. Have you, if you watch a lot of the West Wing, or if you, even if you've been to Washington before, a lot of things will be very memorable to you. So you go to the Washington Monument, or you know the, the War Museum, or the National Archives, and stuff like that. And it's, it, it just I don't know, there's something there that tweaks a, a little sense. You're like, wow, this is an absolutely ravaged place with uh, you know man is destroyed. Mm. But at the same time, um, there's there's lots of nothingness in in this world because ultimately it, there is a nuclear bomb that's gone off and it's and it's cleaned out three quarters of the world and you've just got to find the scraps of humanity in between everything. And the, here lies the you know the, the great and the and the bad at the same time because for the first few hours wandering from A to B to get to C um, is fantastic because you feel like wow I'm I'm this this dark, this guy out in this world just you know trouncing across this land but after a few hours in, it's like you've got to go to over there and, and you kind of you know scramble your way. You're like, you work out where it is and it, you realize it's the other side of the map and you're like, wow, that's that's about 20 minutes away and a lot of firefights and a lot of ammo and a lot of uh, med packs I'm going to need to get over there. Yeah, um, it's it, it does feel very empty and whenever it got to night time, I tended to just stop and wait and move the clock forward until it was daytime because it's so dark and haunting at night that when you're moving through these silent empty carcasses of buildings you just you genuinely feel like the only person in the world apart from people who are trying to kill you it kind of felt a bit like um uh far cry 2 have you played that yet tony no i haven't pretty much everyone in the wilderness wants to kill you and you never meet anyone apart from the occasional person who goes oh you got to help me such and such and such but there's literally like five people who don't want to kill you as in main characters out there and yeah it's it's quite disconcerting to be out there on your own let's not go over the same ground over and over again no, it, no, it's, it's isolated it is the it's the you're a total robinson crusoe in this game 
I, I think the, the positives from it, I, 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 it has really interesting dialogue stuff that, um, you know, Professor has, has been doing for a long time now. And you've got the multiple, multiple branching trees that are, some quests are really just, you know, utterly funny. And they, they have to be because ultimately the rest of this world is completely bleak. Yeah. And as Alex has already pointed out, you, you know, I, I found myself, if you're, you know, I was playing for this like six hours stints that by the end of the six hours, I was just like, Oh God! I, I need some sort of stimulant to actually, you know, wake me up from this depression. See what because, you're like, Joe Kazooie, right now. Yeah, and you know, I just needed I, I needed other games to play just to kind of cheer me up. And but then again, you know, that's that's how powerful the game is. You know, it does a good job of you know making you believe you're in a, a real hellhole. What did you think and, of um, the 50s aesthetic? The the feeling of it being sort of 50s themed the whole way through, even though it. Well, here's the thing, actually. It's, it takes place like 200 years in the future, and it's as if the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, and every decade in between just never happened. Uh, only we got a bit, a bit more technology. It just, it's, when I first played, I didn't really understand the chronology. I thought that uh, it had been like, it was a sort of alternate timeline where a bomb did go off in the 50s, and uh, everything was sort of 50s themed for that reason, but it, it sort of didn't sit right with me because it didn't make sense that we'd go backwards like that and, and that it would maintain itself like that. that. There'd be no changes in anything and that everything would just sort of grow into a whole... I don't know. Maybe maybe it would. But it does. I mean, you have the enclave and, and people that kind of embrace technology, but ultimately what most people realise is that technology is how they got to this scenario in the end anyway. You know, it blew... They ended up blowing the world up. I don't, see, it's, it's a really hard game because... I think it, it's one of those games that brings out massive emotions in people. If, if you've been playing it for like you know, 60 or 70 hours, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we are saying now, you're like, oh, you're just wrong because you, you've been utterly you know, addicted to it. And I think certainly hey, if you are playing hours. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but there's, yeah, it has to be said that you know, if you're a casual gamer, I don't think this game really is for you. Um, because I, I found it very, very daunting. Um, and I, I mean, as stories go, I think the main questline story isn't anything particularly exciting or even particularly good. I think all the all the stuff that I had really fun with the game was was stuff that was kind of buried away into these little side quests. What did you um, think about? Oh, hang on, no, that spoiler about that. Okay, right, the combat then, because my wife mentioned something uh, just before we started this. She was watching Jeff Gersman doing the Anchorage quests, and she said, one thing that always gets me, when you shoot someone four times in the head, and it says head crippled, and they just carry on fighting and shooting and running back and forth like they normally would, what does crippled even mean? I mean, does does that mean that he's got no accuracy? If you shoot someone in the face with a shotgun, they die. I mean, I, I'm not a, a doctor here, but the, the amount of damage that most enemies can take is, is astonishing, especially because they actually go to the trouble to give you vats so that you can shoot them in the leg with a frigging rocket launcher, and yet, for some reason, some people can still survive this. It's, hmm. It's almost like it, it gives you the ability to really, really hurt someone, and then says, yeah, but you can't really, really hurt them. You've got to keep plugging away at them. I don't know. Does, does that make sense? Just, is that's a joke? Well, uh, the, the game kind of trips itself up at every opportunity on occasions, because obviously you have bats to make things a, a lot easier. Um, this for people who haven't played the game is where the uh, game slow, like go, freezes and you can select a body part to actually shoot. Yeah, but to to make that work, they kind of cripple just the the everyday you know open free combat shooting because you kind of you always want want to end up going to that because ultimately you're always going to be a lot more accurate that way. And uh, I don't know, it's just the the problem with any of these games is after you spend a, a considerable amount of time, it becomes just second nature to go into vats and do something, but then it becomes kind of less empowering all all the same time as well because 
ultimately I found myself just running out with a shotgun, going into vats, shooting people in the face, blowing the head off, moving to the next person and repeating the same process over and over again. And I'm not too sure that's any better than me just, you know, or, or any more insight, more exciting than me having the ability to actually have a good kind of shooting game and taking cover and moving behind stuff. In all seriousness, the, the, how incredibly floaty it was running back and forth and shooting folks and just the fact that there was no real impact... Um, kind of reminded me, we, we were just playing Resident Evil 5, and uh, more on that in a bit. But the absolute lack of consequence when you shoot people. I, I'm beginning to get annoyed at games refusing to accept that if you shoot someone in the leg, that, that, that leg's not usable anymore. They, they drop. Uh, you shoot someone in the hand, they can't use the hand. You shoot someone in the head, they die. That's uh, Drake's fortune. You should not be able to shoot dudes in the face over and over again and have them carry on attacking you with no degrading of their abilities. Um... Now, it's, a, it's an RPG, it's not like combat simulation, that's, that's granted. But the fact that they actually allow you to shoot people all over the place, and, and it's something, in, in some occasions when you cripple someone's leg, they, they do walk a lot slower, or they do, you know, you can blow their leg clean off, and that takes them out of the, the, the equation. But the fact that they're actually highlighting the fact that you are shooting them in this place, and it's not having that lasting an effect on them unless you really get a good critical hit in, it's... It's. Do you remember Goldeneye, when you could shoot people in the hands and the legs and things, and they'd actually react to it as if you know they'd, they'd shake their hand and like go ow like that. Okay, that's greatly reduced, but it did it did acknowledge that you were shooting them in a different body part. So I think the fact that they're calling attention to that means that they should follow through with it. To me. Yeah, I, I think to sum up my review on the game, um, I appreciate everything Bethesda kind of has done with this. I mean, I was a big fan of um, Oblivion as well, and. It, it's easy to say oblivion with guns, but you know, it, it it does at times feel like it. They they brought a lot of the same old kind of stuff. Certainly, like in in the quest structure, it seems very um, similar. You haven't got like groups of you know the knights and the nine you know guilds that you go and do stuff. But on occasions, it's just like oh, you know where do I go? I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. This is a huge place. Um, but I love the graphics. I think the gameplay is at least in, interesting. Um, I think the map system it was a bunch of rubbish. There was on times where, even though I know where I was meant to be going, um, because ultimately, occasionally I was like, I just want to get to this place, look on the web, and I was like, okay, it's up there in the north. And it will show you where it is. Occasionally the map system was like, well, you need to go through the subway. And you know, it, it was like, oh, my God. And I spent on more than one time just... Spending like an hour just trying to find a place, even though I knew where the place was. Oasis. And that I spent a friggin' two hours looking for that place. <laughs> and it was it's just annoying. You feel like just yeah, I'm being hampered by just you know not particularly great game design. Um, so in the end, I, I appreciate for it, it being bold enough to be a proper game that you know we you know we barely ever see this this type of massive game. Um, but on the other hand, I, I think it's, it's hampered by just small and irritating bugs that over 60 hours, which pretty much you're going to have to spend in this if you want to kind of experience everything, um, do build up over time and, and annoy you. But um, I, don't know, I, I liked it. Game of the year, I think you know you saw a lot of the, the people deciding not to give it game of the year, and I think you know before its release, most people were thinking it would be game of the year. But um, it's I, don't know, I, I liked it very much. Me too. I, I did it as well. I liked it, but by the end, I was kind of sick of it. 
And that's going to pretty much happen in any game where it just it lengthens and lengthens and lengthens and becomes increasingly annoying by, you know, and all of the things that piss you off a little bit in the uh, early stages really annoy you by the end. But let's talk about uh, the difference between JRPGs and, and Western RPGs because that's the main theme and we can actually apply that to Fallout uh, as it happens because one of the things that annoyed me about Fallout to begin with, um, and I suppose branching all the way through is absolute lack of character in your character and this is something that a lot of western rpgs do japanese rpgs they put you in the role of somebody you are playing a role of that person they go right you're playing cloud strife you're playing school lionheart zidane tribal someone like that and you you get this sort of effeminate um uh, japanese lad with blonde hair that seems unnatural to his you know, to him and a sword and um you know they they nance about and complain and, and and talk about their checkered past but at least you've got some character there to sort of get get with and I, by the way i love final fantasy 7 8 9 10 not 11 and uh, 12 certainly very good um but for most western rpgs and, and by that i mean um what kotor um F- what fallout and oblivion mass effect all of those four sort of spring to mind you create your own character from scratch and you personalize them. You can either make them look like yourself or look like the idealized version of you. But that's about as far as it goes because you that you don't speak most of the time. I suppose Shepard did speak in... Uh, in yeah. Uh, sorry, Mass Effect. That's the one that sort of straddles the both. Shepard's always Shepard in, in Mass Effect. You just change the way they look. Um, but uh, in, in like Fallout, you never speak. Oh, you you can choose what you speak, but you have you no. Never re- even get to see your face either, which is no. stupid. You can, um, if you hold the uh, left but- bumper down, you can rotate around yourself, but you 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 don't have any real personality, and most of the time you're covered by a helmet anyway. Um, and here's the big difference, because to that end, JRPGs, you're pretty much going to be funneled down one route you know this is the story it's going to be pretty much the same for anyone else there are going to be side quests but most likely you just got this one route and you're just on this roller coaster and there's um, random battles in american rpgs it's um it's much more non-linear they, they drop you in the middle of a massive world all of those ones i mentioned before um you know often on many you know several massive worlds in the case of the sci-fi ones and you kind of have to fend for yourself. But um, the big difference is that your answers make a difference in the game, in, in, in most of these cases. where you, All of these games that I mentioned above have, um, you can be good or you can be bad. And again, that's a, that's a Western thing. Um, so every single conversation you get into, you can behave thoroughly atrociously or you can be an absolute paragon. And that's that's actually playing a role. And that's significantly what makes it a role-playing game over things like Final Fantasy. However, because you are just a cipher, you're a nothing really kind of a person, there's no personality to it, you could essentially change at any minute and you've been nice the whole game and you could suddenly be totally schizophrenic and be horrible and it doesn't make any narrative sense but it's your choice anyway. So it's, is it even really a role you're playing in the first place anyway? Because ultimately, surely after you've been nice for a certain amount of time it should sort of close off certain dialogue options because you just don't have it in you to be an absolute scumbag your thoughts tony <laughs> well I, I see i see the, the you know the positives of both sides of doing it and i see as well as the negatives of both sides i mean my take on something um certainly in the, in the japanese 
the West, the East, is it the East? Yeah, the Eastern style way of doing it. Um, I don't mind being force fed a story. I mean, sometimes it's nice just to, I mean, Lost Odyssey was the last real um, Eastern development RPG game I played. And to that, it was it was like coming back to your favourite TV show because ultimately you're being fed a story and, you know, it's, it's going to last 60 or 70 hours um, and you're going from A to B. And yes, it has the annoyance of random battles and, and bits like that, but you, I, tend to, I tended to build up this relationship with the characters. In fact, once I finished that game, I was actually really sad because I was like, well, there's, there's going to no more of this unless I go back and play it again. And, you know, I've, I've been fed a story and, you know, this is this is the end of the journey as much for them as it is for me. And that's something I don't really feel like I've ever got from um, a Western RPG. Something like, you know, Fallout, because you, you, you're kind of almost like a pinball machine. You're bouncing from narrative story stuff to um, normally a side quest, which then has no real relevance to anything else. And then you forget where you are in the story and you pick it up again. Um, I mean, to me, it's like the main, the main story. RPGs as well, I must add. You can get yeah. lost and completely, oh, I'm not sure what's going on here. But it, it's slightly less hard to do than certainly in the Western stuff because, I mean, certainly Fallout and Oblivion, I think, are, are bigger culprits in this more so than Mass Effect. I think that, that had a slightly better way of um, you know, showing a lot of the kind of cutscenes and stuff. I mean, that, that's ultimately what a lot of this comes down to is, you know, the, the cutscene nature of what um, uh, Eastern development RPGs. I mean, look at the Final Fantasy series. That's you know, just literally... Yeah. Um, I don't... Sorry. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong or right to that. I mean, it's it's more of a you know a, a preference the like this. The two of them definitely. Mm-hmm. There's I mean, another major thing that's different. Um, actually, the, all of the um, the RPGs we've been talking about seem to have the same thing, which is that you get to control a party of various different colourful characters, and you get to know them. And even things like Kotor and Mass Effect, you genuinely sort of start to get to know your other. Even if you are just a totally nobody of a character. There's people around you who you can, you know, learn the the specifics of the gaming world and, and you can learn the mythology through them and that injects the character into your game. Fallout 3 and also um, Oblivion, you have no party. You're totally on your own. There's no character there. There's a few people in the world who are sort of, you know, uh, interesting, but most of them tend to go, How about a wedding ring for my finger or, or something along those lines. They... they now we get to voice acting, actually. This segues quite neatly. Was it true that there were only five voice actors in Oblivion? Yes. <laughs> All doing different style voices. It was, um, yeah, not good. I definitely felt that in Fallout 3. There's a bit when I went and found a bunch of ghouls standing around the uh, uh, brazier. And I talked to one of them and he went, what do you want? Ah, don't come around here. And uh, I thought, right, okay. And I had a conversation with him. And then I talked to another one who went, what do you want? Ah, don't come around here. And I was looking at one, then the other. And then I went to a third one. What do you want? Uh, don't come round here. And I thought, th- Bethesda actually thought this would be okay, that they would all say exactly the same thing in exactly the same voice, and you could have the same conversation with all of them. And it's like, it even blanks out the bits you've already said. It's like, I have to go now. And that's the only thing you can really say to people who are essentially cut and paste of, you know, copy and paste of, of the same characters. There is a real problem in Fallout, just that no one is particularly interesting to talk to. You could talk to everyone, but no one has anything to say. But the time and effort, I mean, it, 
RPGs in particular are worse a worse culprit than any other game out there because the time and effort to record all the dialogue that you'd have to do in these massive games is just I, I assume cost prohibitive and also time consuming. Especially if a lot of people just run past them and you, all of your efforts will be go completely unheeded. But not only that, I mean you, localization stuff as well because if you're going with voice acting, of course, you know start. If you, certainly if you're Eastern or Western development company chucking it either side of the pond, it becomes a nightmare, I'd imagine. At the same time, surely the, the you know they should just get like a few different phrases for the ghouls to say. So like one of them goes, go away. And another one goes, you know, why don't hear? In a slightly different voice. You know, just to make it feel like they're different people. I mean, I, this is amateur mistakes they're making here. It, it just doesn't seem to be right that they would, they would do that. And at least in... Final Fantasy VII, when it was all just text-based, you could talk to people and they'd they'd just say the same thing over and over again. But um, you'd be like, right, I've heard what you've got to say. And you, they wouldn't actually have to record different people's voices. I but think it, the, it's a problem, you know? The bigger issue I find of it is, is something like Fallout, where I'd be so immense in the, in the environment. Certainly once you're down in like, the subway system and whatnot, and you're, you're really, you know, you're, oh my God, what's behind me? And uh, and then suddenly you come up across somebody and they say exactly the same uh, straight, you know, string of what dialogue you in, uh, in the same uh, uh, You don't want it here. And it, for, it just takes you, out, takes you out of it for a second. You're like, didn't, didn't I just see this guy like 200 yards back there? Yeah, which is which is sad, and which I I don't think happens quite so much in um, Japanese RPGs, just because they're always trying to funny you down a a corridor a bit faster. And okay, the final thing we can talk about, I suppose, is the, is the combat, because I mean we we can't we, we aren't going to talk for ages and ages and ages about RPGs. We're here all night, but there is a major major difference between the combat in Fallout and the combat in um, Final Fantasy uh, traditionally. Um, it's <laughs> In all seriousness, the, the combat in Fallout actually is kind of more similar insofar as it's, it's still turn-based. You're still trading shots with each other. You can dodge left and right and, and, and avoid getting hit, and that, that's the major difference. It actually adds sort of a FPS-style gameplay in there. If a creature's charging at you and you can nimbly jump out of the way, that's fine. But at the same time, you're, you're not taking a, uh, a shot while you're jumping uh, and, and running, so it's kind of like you're just... Uh, clicking on a dodge command if you're in a turn-based combat on fantasy style. You know what I mean? So it's... A lot of Westerners are now getting absolutely sick of turn-based, you know, gameplay where you, you meet invisible enemies, it starts up the animation, and then they swing their swords, and then you just trade blows, and you got to do the magic. It's just, it seems like Lost Odyssey, for me, felt like that they hadn't advanced since Final Fantasy X, or even VIII, um, in all of the years in between. And it's like the Japanese public love that gameplay. They adore Final Fantasy. They adore Dragon Quest. They love it. And, and any change to that will upset them. So when Final Fantasy XII came along and it was actually taking a, a leaf out of the book of MMOs, which we could go into forever, but we're not going to. And it's more about you, you kind of had to program your characters to fight for you. It was never as popular in Japan. I, I personally think that the way forward for RPGs is actually making it feel a bit more like fighting in real life. So Fallout is closer. I don't know. Do you remember? Do you remember Mass Effect's fighting system? No, it, it was um, it was all real time. Um, you could pause the action, uh, and actually, yeah, the, the action didn't pause entirely, but you could go into menu screens and actually uh, bring up different things to actually use on. It was on more the, tactical uh, though as well. Yeah, but I mean, they have tried that. I mean, what's what's all of Square Enix's stuff? Um, so Infinite in- um, Discovery and the ones um, that with characters that look like. Final Fantasy characters. 
Exactly, but I mean, the system is in there. They're not turn-based. They're all just you know instant action. So you're in there, you'll be you know fighting away and, and doing spells and whatnot. And the, the funny thing with that is, I, I tend to not like them. I think that they're, they're too um, too busy. There's there's so much stuff going on. You have got like four characters all doing different stuff at once. There is no time to you know take you know take a, a second and actually work out what you're doing. Um, so I, I don't know. I, don't, I really, only, I honestly don't know what the answer is. I, I, what is Final Fantasy XII doing? Do we know? Is it turned? Is it thirteen? Yeah, uh, I've no idea. Uh, all I know is that I'm going to not want to buy it until the week it comes out, and then I'm going to buy it and I'm going to regret it. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't. I don't think they're a bit like um, this, this this discussion. I don't think there is a wrong way, a right, right way of doing. It. I don't think. But there is definitely a way forward. It's not, not, nothing's necessarily wrong or right, but there's old and there's new and there's what people cling to and there's what needs to happen to evolve the actual game because a lot of these um, JRPGs are using systems that were established 25 years ago. As awesome as they are, they're aware that they need to evolve. But uh, the RPG is one of those genres that really, I mean, it's, it's gotten shinier over the years, but it's still essentially pencil and paper and 20-sided dice. Well, and ultimately, the, you know, the Eastern-style RPGs just don't sell very well outside um, their home territory. I mean, I, I believe Lost Odyssey did all right, but you know, nothing spectacular. And um, Except Final Fantasy, which sells gangbusters. And yeah, then you always can come back. I mean, Final Fantasy is the, the anomaly in all this because ultimately it's the one that sells gangbusters throughout the world. But you know, it'd be, and Star Ocean is just around the corner for the 360 again, and we'll see how that does. But ultimately... You know they're going to sell the best in in the home territories as well as I can't imagine Fallout 3 doing particularly well in in Japan because it's not how they you know envisage their RPGs and it you know I believe it's done very well here in in you know, Europe and the States. So. In terms of snaring new users though and actually expanding the market to actually bring new people into it, the the always the double bind of an RPG is always that it can be the most rewarding game you've ever played. It can be the most memorable experience, or it can be this gigantic sixty-hour slog. It really depends on how you how well you take to the game. Um, and this more so than than action games, sports games, anything else. You can tell with sports games and things like that they're pretty much going to stay the same from the beginning to the end. It's just it's going to get a little bit harder. RPGs, it's all plot. I mean. The good ones, anyway. So it's it's really about how much do we do we want to invest of our lifetimes into each individual game. And I don't know about you, I'm I'm, I'm finding myself short on hours right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm much the same. And Fallout 3, picking it up, I was right to play in January because you know it was a time sink. You know, hundreds, well not hundreds, but you know I think I put like 60, 70 hours in the end in it. And it would by the be end, nice if RPGs were released with nothing else around them, because then you could really just go right. This is this is what I shall do with the month of June. Yeah, um, I mean the the thing I will say, I, I think Mass Effect, as much as obviously it's it has problems because you, you yourself have tried to play it multiple times. I think the stuff it does right, it, it kind of does have it in an Eastern style way of doing cutscenes in RPG which pushes along the forward of the story and it kind of does all the good stuff of um, Fallout where you know, there is reasons to go off wandering and, and collecting stuff to, you know, to make your character a lot more you know, badass for um, you know, potential encounters. But it, it has all the problems of Fallout where it's occasionally just like, where the hell am I going? Uh, the Citadel in particular is just like, well, how do I get off this place? And you know, that stuff they need to iron out. They need to make... Or just like a little thing that says, you should go here. 
just in, just in case, and maybe just like a hint system if you're completely flummoxed. But that would be good for many types of game. But specifically RPGs, the propensity to get lost, and if you leave it for a bit and come back to it, it is absolute death to the game because you're like, right, what have I done? What do I need to do? I tell you what, we all need. We need a little. Uh, what's the name of that fairy in uh, Zelda? Navi. Navi. Listen. Why don't you go to that mountain? All right then. Just not in that <laughs> annoying voice, please. Yeah. Maybe just uh, you know, uh, hey, uh, why don't you go to that mountain? Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Before we finish up on RPGs, anything else you want to say, by the way? No, not really. I, I, once again, I think it's a personal choice thing. Um, and but there's there's plenty both can do to actually improve the way that they play because I don't think either. Either has succeeded or either have a really... Uh, I have genre room in my life for RPGs when they really resonate with me. So I'm not going to dismiss any of them out of hand. But uh, it's got to really grab me in the first few hours. And unfortunately with RPGs, it kind of isn't until you're in your 10th hour that you start to really like it. So, yeah, that's the double bind. Okay, before we finish on RPGs, I've decided to get rid of all my PlayStation 2 games because despite our uh, conversation we had a few uh, episodes ago where I decided to keep it, I just haven't played it since. And uh, there's a whole other conversation we can have later on about can we play an SD anymore. It turns out I can't. Um, but I've got... Spoiler. Final, yeah. <laughs> I have got Final Fantasy twelve up for grabs to whoever wants it. Uh, but you also have to answer a question. It's competition time, folks. So... Question is, to all fans of Final Fantasy out there, you've got a, a, you know, if you haven't played Final Fantasy XII, it is a truly excellent game. I just don't have the time for it anymore. So I will send this to you, to your house. No problem, no questions asked. You have to answer this question. What is the name of the breed of classic Final Fantasy bird that reoccurs throughout the series? Hmm. The winner will be picked at random from their email and announced next week. Send your answers to digitalcowboys at googlemail.com. Okay. Mind. You can. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I will not say no to you if you, if you want to uh, try that. No. But uh, it's, it's, right. it's a truly excellent game. I just uh, I can't play it. What you been playing? I'll let you talk now. <laughs> well, something we can both talk about in particular is a Resident Evil 5 demo, I think. Oh, oh yeah. Brand new. I've just been released this week, so you know, many people have played it. Yep. So have we. <laughs> what do we think? Uh, it, 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 uh, it could use a new control system. Apart from that, it's great. Yeah, ditto. Um, I mean, I, I rang up Alex and said, have you tried it? And like, he's like, not yet. I said, I, I withhold my uh, conversation until you have. And uh, he did, and he said, well, you know, what's up with it? I was like, dude, the control system is junk. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, well, it's all right. Uh, so we decided we're going to give it a go in um, co-op because, you know, it's a big, like a big feature of this game is, is co-op. So we've literally, before we come and play the podcast, we uh, do the podcast, we, we had a game. And it improved somewhat a little bit. I, uh, I, I got through better on my own, actually. I think we got killed <laughs> twice there. I only got killed once playing it on my own yesterday. So while it's better, 
The problem is um, with playing co-op, it, you feel like you're, you're more, you know, playing with a friend, which is great, but you're less immersed in it because you're just nattering away at each other all the time. So there's no tension. You're not feeling, oh God, what's going around the corner? Because you go, you got your mate here who's got a shotgun and he's got your back. And it's more like gears of war to that end, but at the same time, um, I don't know. Okay, let, let me get this off my chest. Right. Yeah. Resident Evil 5, I was absolutely desperate wanting to play. Since last year they showed the trailer, I was foaming at the mouth. And a lot of that stuff has come true. You know, the graphics are really, really you know, nice. Um, I've, I've played pretty much every other single Resident Evil game and you know, pretty much liked them all. Um, I, you know, I, who knows what I'm doing. Well, 4 in particular is absolutely fantastic. Um, so I come into this one and I know I've mentioned the control system, but <laughs> control system is pretty much almost lifted straight from um, Resident Evil 4, which a lot of people will say, well, step now. Yeah, well, I mean, look, people will say, well, <laughs> what's the problem there? You played Resident Evil 4. Well, yeah, I played Resident Evil 4 back on the GameCube, and now we're on to the next gen. And, um, well, it's not the next gen, we're on to the current gen of consoles that have been out long enough. And enough games have come out to prove that, you know, there's a better control system out there. So the I mean, e- they said, it's got Gears-style controls. No, it hasn't. Well, <laughs> the big problem here is that you once once you've got your gun up to shoot, you can't move. And the developers, or Capcom, will basically say, well, that's to add tension. Well... The fact that there's zombies running around adds enough tension. I don't need to have this ability, you know, this hampering ability to, to stand still and fire the gun to actually add tension. And what actually happens, it leads you into all sorts of situations where you, you'll go into an animation and you'll get hit by somebody just because, you know, you can't move back. I mean, earlier today I was firing at that chainsaw guy. And the normal case of the scenario was you'd be firing away with your I mean, I machine gun. And you'd just be kind of walking back and he'll be running at you because that's what you would do. Mm. But in this, you're like, I was like, okay, he's getting a bit close. Time the animation has taken me out the first person camera view, dropped the gun down, and I've just started to move back. I had my head chopped off. Yep. And it's like, it just, it just, you know, that was the controls killing me rather than there's any tension. I've just got pissed off of it. And I think the biggest one here to, to really say this, well, there is other games that you know, do these kind of controls perfectly well. I mean, Dead Space springs to mind where there's enough tension in that game and you can move any way you want with the uh, with a gun held up and, you know, it's it's a hell of a lot more enjoyable. So I've, I've this, is, is being able to move and fire going to kill the tension that much? I think your game should do a better job of actually building tension rather than relying on dodgy controls to actually do that for you. I think the one thing that's really spoiled it for us specifically is, is Left 4 Dead because you're talking about zombie panic here and you're talking about tension... Um, you've got whip quick controls, you can lurch all over the place, shoot people, you can die in a second, but you always feel that it was your fault, you wandered off, or you didn't shoot, you know, correctly enough, but it ultimately you feel in control, and yet, you know, you're incredibly tense the whole way through as well, it's, it's, it's just making excuses, but also, it's presenting us with a really, really good zombie game, and they have to, they have to do better than this, ultimately, they can't just reskin Resident Evil 4, uh, give it uh, multiplayer mode and um, set it in Africa. It's 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 not enough. They're not at the same time. It's you can you can kind of hark back to the old Resident Evil. I'm fine. I'm fine with picking up herbs and I'm fine with equipping stuff in the infantry and stuff. I've done that a million times. It's 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 you know it's perfectly okay. But controls have moved on and controls are everything. And I just felt like I was. Even though we almost got through that demo, I just I, I was like, I don't I don't want to play this for for ten hours or however long this is, with thinking this could be so much better if they did this, and that's ultimately what I'm going to do. I, but it's just annoying because I expected so much more from the trailers and whatnot. 
And I feel like if they had given me the ability just to have a bit more, and I, we keep saying control, but a bit more control over what's going on, I would have, um, you know, gone, oh, it's, it's, it's awesome, but I'm, I'm not in that place. So I'm probably going to rent it. I'm probably going to play it. You better. Um, I need someone to fight with. Yeah, but I, mean, I must admit, it, it, the demo hasn't made me go, wow. And hearing a lot of the same people having the same situation as us is, is an interesting one. But you know, Capcom are a massive developer. They, they've implemented these things on purpose. I just I don't feel like I've heard a, a, a sufficient explanation why. It's really weird because the um, before I played the demo, I was thinking like, wow, Street, Street Fighter Four and Resi Five, all in the space of a month. The Capcom are the kings of Q1, and yeah, at the moment, I'm like, oh, not not so much on the Resi right now. I don't know. Um, Write well, in, let us know, people, because yeah. uh, am I just going crazy? Should I not? We want care? some more opinions on this one. We want to be. If you do agree, if you disagree, if you think we're crazy, let us know. Digital Cowboys at googlemail.com. Right. You want to talk about disappointing games, though? Yep. World Championship Dance. Oh. I had such high hopes for this demo. Worst, stupidest game ever. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a completely arbitrary controls, and then you get some Geordie telling you that you suck every time you throw a dart, and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so, yeah, not, not my game, it would appear. Okay, go. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I finished up um, Kung Fu Panda. Um, yeah, I mean... As I said last week, I'd, it's definitely just a kids' game. It gets kind of it's it's fun towards the end, and then wraps up the story in a nice style. And but uh, it, it's a very glitchy game, and um, it's it's very odd because graphically it takes it one step further than most kids' game. But on um, kind of um, <laughs> finishing up, it, it's it's buggy as as fuck. So in the end, it's it's definitely a rent and not a buy. Yeah. Okay. I won't buy it. Um. I also played a lot of... Uh, well, I finished Rock Band ACDC. Uh, it did it in one sitting. That was quite long. That was that was really quite painful, actually, at times. Oh. I, I ended up... Uh, there's one song. Uh, you, you might be familiar with this one. It's called Jailbreak. And it's like 14 minutes long or something. And I ended up... I didn't realize how long it would be. I, was, I remember saying, I quite like this song to begin with. And then around about the middle, you, I just ended up lying on my back on the floor, just playing one note. Do, do, do. Da, 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 and Sharon was doing the same. Da, da. Eventually, she lay down beside me. We're like, da, 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 da. and eventually, it's just like, you know, just wake me up when I don't have to play this one note. And uh, yeah, that went on for quite a while. But uh, there are some really, really good songs in there. It's just that I don't like um, having to do stink things for achievement that basically involve playing like twenty odd songs back to back. And you want to talk about the endless set list? That's like eighty-eight songs back to back for uh, for Rock Band Two. That's crazy talk. And yet, I still consider I might end up doing that. It's just, it seems a bit irresponsible to make people do that. Well, I, I think the, the, the thing that with, I mean, the playing the ACD stuff, DC stuff back to back is the fact that you're playing the gig that they played. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what difficulty what you're playing on, but I was playing it, on hard drums. Because I, I uh, didn't want to fail out. If I, you know, fail out, then we had to play those songs again, and that was going to take ages. And our hands would get tired. But um, I played it on hard drums, and I know the song you're you're talking about, and it just felt like you know you're playing actually in a concert, and you know you were making you know this stuff up, and you were playing with the crowd, and that's something I've never really had before in any of the Guitar Hero games or Rock Band games. Um, but on you know on top of that, I don't ever want to play Jailbreak randomly in a set list that we you know we get online and play. I, you it was could delete it from your uh, your your whole hard drive. I mean, if it ever, you never know. I may fancy it one day. But you know, I, I think playing it back to back and, and feeling like you're in a concert for me was 
really unique and really fun. Uh, but if you were just playing one note over and over again for like the, you know, the 12 minutes of that song, I could see why you maybe a bit pissed off. Oh, yeah. Um, have you played Gravity Bone yet? I haven't, no. Do so. Everyone uh, jump online and find a game called Gravity Bone. It is a free game using the Quake 2 engine. It takes about five minutes to uh, get the thing downloaded and set up. And it takes about 20 minutes to half an hour to play all the way through. It's, it's like I said, it's free. It's, I'm not going to spoil anything about it. It's been recommended on Gamers with Jobs. Excellent little um, game. And, uh, yeah, just seriously, great fun. Gravity Bone. I've gone back to playing Graw 2, of all games. Um, yeah. you know, game back in, what, 2006, I yep. think, maybe, right, 2007? Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter 2. 2. Um, fantastic game. Um, the reason I ended up playing it was a bunch of us have the co-op map packs that we've never really played and listening to our DLC podcast thinking, you know what, I really ought to get um, some use out of those packs. Yeah. Um, so we've gone back and to go and get the achievements and it's been really, really fun. It's a, a, a very slow paced game and it's all very much co-op, but you're, you're, you're batting your way through these maps to get to the end and, and completing objectives along the way. And it just feels so different from everything we've been playing for so long Halo and Gears of War and Call of Duty it was nice just to take a bit of a break and right you go over there you go over there and one person on a sniper and you know let's take these these guys out and uh, like some missions took us up to almost an hour but it you know the the acceleration once we got to the end of these things and you know sniping that last last guy off after he's just about to kill both of you and actually completing it was uh, it's, it's something I I've missed sorely. So um, I, I recommend people, if you still own Graw, to um, to go back and actually play the, play them because uh, they're still fantastic. Even uh, you know, because I don't think anything else has really come out like it for a very very long time. True. So yeah, great. Right, it says here Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts. Enlighten me as to why this is brilliant. Apart from Brad Shoemaker, very few other people have raved about this game. Right, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. I mean, this would be the reason I haven't played Gravity Bone. This would be the reason I haven't really played many other games. Um, a game that I originally played the demo on the 360 went, yeah, whatever, and just turned it off after about you know 10 minutes of, of mucking around. I don't want to have to build vehicles. Why do I need to do this? Um, but after listening to Giant Bomb, a plug for their podcast here, um, you know, Brad Schumacher and uh, Jeff Gersman are you know, raving as it was like their top, you know, in their, well, Brad Schumacher in particular is his game of the year. And I'm like, well, I love Rare. I mean, I, I, I've loved all their games. So, you know, what the hell is going on here? So I went back and played the demo. And about an hour later in that demo, I was like, I'm buying this game. Um, <laughs> there's so many things to like about it. It's It's got very, very uh, funny humor in it. And it's, it's so self-referential. It, it takes the mick out of computer games and how kind of... Um, generic and how you're doing the same old thing oh why don't you go over there and jump here do this and you know it, it knows exactly what it is and it's self, very self-aware um the great thing about it is guess what you don't you actually don't want to jump around and find uh, the jiggers again because you've done that a million times before you don't need to do it again this it, it you you've got these massive worlds and it looks spectacular um and it it drops you into this world and says right we need to you to earn this jiggy you know the kind of the, the thing you need to get in the game to move on to get you know the bigger and better levels the ring or the coin yeah i mean a, a perfect example here would be like star here's yeah <laughs> here's a goal and you need to get as many balls with this goal as 10 in particular to get this this um this jiggy here so they go boom and they give you like the most basic machine possible to, to try to achieve this and you'll try and maybe you might get three or four in before the time limit runs out and you're like well <sighs> but then you you have the ability to create your own machine and 
this is the fun part of it. You, you go into this really easy vehicle editor and you go, what do I need for this situation? So I need a really wide um, kind of like cage type thing and you build a cage and you need to build a machine that fits around this cage and you've got blueprints that you can kind of muck around and you've got half one set up already and you just alter them for different things. And it went from being something like, I don't want to build vehicles to this is the one thing I want to do in the game. I'm getting bored just kind of running around this place trying to find stuff. I just want to build a vehicle and actually beat my friend's times on the leaderboards or look at the world leaderboards and work out how the hell somebody in a three-minute time limit managed to score 131 games at goals and you have the ability to download their replay and go, shit, they built that? And it's like this huge monstrous machine and you think, I'd never even imagined something like that. It basically takes all the elements of kind of like the little big planet building stuff and actually adds it into a you know, a quick and easy fix to actually do something creative in game rather than saying build your level, here's build something that you're going to ultimately go and play with. And they make it so quick and easy. So I love the humour. I mean, the gameplay is, is is really different and unusual and something I haven't really played before. On top of that, it's just really, really fun and a, and a lovely place to be in. It's got very cheerful music. And after playing Fallout, it was like a breath of fresh air. Um Honestly, I would say go back and play the demo to most people because it has pretty much everything you need uh, in there. I mean, it, it doesn't show off the best world, unfortunately, but yeah, it's it's very very creative. And and at the moment, I'm right up there with Brad Shoemaker saying, you know, I don't know if, know if it was my favourite game of last year because Rock Band Two stands there. But honestly, over the top of everything else, it's probably my most enjoyed game, which would have been from last year, and um, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm playing other games thinking I could, should be playing this. I'm, I'm at work thinking I need to design this machine to do this. And it's everything that Little Big Planet offered, well, promised me I was going to kind of want to do, but I'm doing it actually in this game. So to see that it's sold pathetically. <laughs> gives you. It's like, and the only thing I can say is. Do you is expect the, anything different? Surely the banjo name is, is only held aloft by 30 somethings now. Well, the banjo name is held aloft by 30-somethings, and they all wanted a jumping platform game because, you know, this is the thing that they... I mean, maybe this is um, Rare's only bigger problem here is that they maybe shouldn't mess around with a franchise, but then, you know, what chance would it have selling otherwise? Mm. But, um, I mean, Banjo, it constantly... I mean, you start off with Banjo, and he's, he's basically turned into this big, fat slob because he hasn't played... He hasn't been in a video game for, however, like five years. So he's basically got a, a beer gut and a pizza belly and okay. is completely out of shape. You know, it's 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 funny, and I there's I've laughed more times at this game than I think of any other game ever I played because it's just so self-referential. Was there a bit with a frag doll in there? Yes, there is. <laughs> Something that says like, "Me have been playing games for one week. Me now grandmaster." It, there's an arcade. There's an eight-bit arcade game in there that is just hilarious as well. Brilliant. I don't know. It's it's Rare's humor. Right. I've always I've always liked Rare's humour, and uh, this is no different. And all I can hope is Viva Piñata tanked when it first released, but it went on to sell about you know a million and a half copies because it had a you know a slightly longer tail for you know the, the more casual gamer to pick up these titles. And um, I'm hoping Banjo is the same thing. But I'm, I just want to come on this podcast and say give it a try, people, because honestly, I, I think it's it's really interesting and really creative, and actually takes the genre in a completely different direction and is. Um, um, you know, it should have as much praise as something like Little Big Planet, in my opinion. Well, I'm convinced. It's on my list of rentals already. Um, before we move on to uh, film reviews, do you have very, very brief ones? Because we're not a film podcast. No, uh, I, I'm, I've got my new thing. Yeah. One word film reviews. Brilliant. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> I just want to mention that I got myself a hoary fighting stick uh, made by a Japanese um, arcade masters from, uh, and uh, it's 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 basically for playing Street Fighter 4 on and because I can't get hold of a Mad Cat's one and even if I could they're 70 quid this one cost me about 47 quid on Fleabay and it's completely different way of playing games I, I downloaded a whole bunch of old arcade games on Xbox Live and it's really weird and fun and it feels very retro and if you were ever there if you're about 28 I hate to say it but Quantum will remember arcade games and, uh, yeah, anyone who's about our age will remember, you know, feeding 10p's, 20p's, and eventually 50p's into arcade games and, and just playing with a joystick. And I haven't played with a proper joystick like this for bloody ages. And it makes things completely different, entirely regardless of the fact that I now suck at Street Fighter. I'm going to have to retrain myself to be able to throw fireballs and things with this thing. It, it doesn't seem like immediately as responsive, but uh, all the champions use, like, the tournament sticks and things that use, you know, from old original... Not old, original style arcade cabinet parts. But, uh, yeah, if you don't have 150 odd quid to spend on the uh, tournament edition or 70 odd quid to spend on the Mad Cats one, it might be worth checking out one of these. They've got a Dead or Alive one and a Virtua Fighter one and a Soul Calibur one. They're all just the same one with different stickers on them. But, uh, yeah, definitely worth trying out. And it also allowed me to be better at Bionic Commando. Crazy, crazy. Because I wasn't always trying to jump. I was treating it more like an arcade game, and uh, actually, yeah, I succeeded where otherwise I'd failed. And it's really good for hammering on the buttons as well, because you're using your fingers rather than your thumb for the buttons. So I was like, because you could do that faster with your index finger than you can with your thumb. As crazy as it seems. Anyway, moving on. One word film reviews, Tony. I'll give you the name. I'll feed you the name, and you tell me the the word. Right? Yep. The reader. Overrated. Shark Tale. Crap. Frost Nixon. Very interesting. Changeling. Or aspiring. That's two words. Sometimes there's aspiring. a man. Sometimes there's a woman. <laughs> a woman who has a child stolen. But I mean, the basic <laughs> the basic idea is I, I wanted to see a lot of the Oscar stuff, and you know, there's there's a list. Shark but, Tale, um, obviously, on that list, yeah. Uh, Shark Tale I happened to see uh, with a, a kid. It's yeah, rubbish, isn't it? It's, re- it's the worst. I mean, it, m- you could see why I would be trepidatious about seeing Kung Fu Panda if that was what DreamWorks were putting out. It, yeah, I, <laughs> I, was, I saw it with my, um, my work colleague, Rob, who, um, you know, it, I don't think he has particularly great taste in films, but <laughs> even he, by, the, by the time he finishes like that, and bear in mind, we had actually only seen um, Finding Nemo not long before, because uh, of my... Um, he went, that was awful. I was like, yes, it was. Martin Scorsese is in that film. I think it would have been better, actually, if I just went back outside in the pissing rain. Yeah. In all honesty. But uh, there you go. Not even preferable to getting drenched. Okay. Okay. Just very, very quickly say a bit more about Frost Nixon, because I'm still considering whether to see that in the cinema or not. <laughs> Frost, I mean, Frost Nixon, if, I, I believe if you're, you know, uh, somebody that was around at the time, so, you know, I, I took um, my... 50s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be in your 50s if you're around at the time. Yeah, my I took my mother and father-in-law. Um, you know, I, I think the film offers a lot for you, obviously, because it's it's a situation that you, you very much know. But, I mean, I, I learned a lot through watching it. Um, the performances, you know, they, they should have gained os- Oscars. You know, so it's I, educational. Not even that. Um, I, I think you have to have at least some knowledge of what actually happened. But just, just in the way that, you, you know, you could see Nixon basically get... 
it's really hard to explain without yeah. giving away the anything, but I guess and, people know everything. But uh, yeah. yes, it's no, worth. Not our listeners probably don't know much about it. It's it's a um, a film of a play of genuine real life events where David Frost, Sir David Frost, who was not a knight at that point, interviewed Richard Nixon to try to extract from him either an explanation or an apology for what he had done regarding the Watergate scandal. Yeah, and, and, and David Frost pretty much is a bumbling fool trying to. Um, uh, get a confession out of a, a world leader who basically just pretty much pounds into the ground, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it, it, the film has, I think the film has problems where it doesn't necessarily explain why Frost was trying to do what he was doing other than he wanted bigger recognition in the States. Um, but, it, you know, the portrayal of Nixon is, is fantastically um, acted. Um, and um, my only biggest criticism, I think, of the film is that I, b- I believe the films must be around the two hours mark and it and it feels like it, it's got this 45 minutes of content that it, it wants to spread out over a longer period of time. and a, More cinematic. Yeah, and you you have to kind of go with it because time you get to the the end, kind of um, half an hour of the film, it's been worth kind of sitting there and, and not necessarily getting everything else that's going on there, feeling like it's, it's quite a thin content. But time you get to the end, you're like, oh, that's why. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely worth seeing. And I, and I think, you know, it, it's it's good good chance actually picking up the Oscars. Our pick of the week is still Slumdog. Yes, everyone must go see Slumdog. Right, okay. Let's do your emails and then we're going to get out of here. This one is from Midgemeister. Hey Cowboys, how are you? Long time no speak. Still love the show as always. Love the new format. Thank you. Nice feedback on that one. Uh, unfortunately, most likely to pause discuss since my Xbox is still in repair. I have rediscovered my love for World of Warcraft since I can't play Rock Band 2 or anything at all. Anyway, just thought I'd drop by an email to say hi and uh, keep up the good work. Your pal, James Midgemeister. Sorry. James Midgemeister Perkins. Right. Don't feel ashamed at all about playing World of Warcraft. It's probably one of the best games ever made. That's all I'll say. And, uh, yeah. Thank you for, for, for the feedback on the show. If you, uh, you're out there and you feel that we need to change the show again or, you know, what's something that we need to pay attention to or something you'd like to have on the show, just give us a shout. DigitalCowboys at GoogleMail.com. We're always up for any kind of uh, yeah, input from you guys, even if it's just criticism. Okay, so next week, any uh, I think we're going to be doing Gears of War 2 and our expectations of a sequel. Yep. Indeed. As in what we felt about Gears of War 2 uh, now that all of us have finished it and I just remembered that I've got to finish Gears of War 2. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it on my list. Right, check out my uh, pile of shame which is diminishing by the week. It's on our blog. Digitalcowboys.libsyn.com Also, I'd request if you find us on iTunes give us a star rating and a review. We need them as much as possible. Uh, We'll be back next week with Paul. Uh, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. And I'm not going to say Weekend Confirmed and We Are Ghost because that is 1-Up's again. And if 1-Up's going to carry on, they can have that back. If 1-Up finishes, I'm having it again. Okay, so it's the weekend and we're out of here. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you See next guys. week. <laughs>
one. Ah, uh, don't come round here. Okay, so the end of Fallout 3. Spoiler warning, just turn off, there's nothing, we're only going to be talking about Fallout 3 at this point. So just, this is for people who've already played it all the way through the end, or don't care. Um, so you get to the end, and it just goes, it's got like this sort of, um, like a collage of different bits of the game, and it goes, you know, oh, the Wanderer from the Wastes came, and he da 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 and he was a very good person. And he always stole from people, or you know, it's just it's it's kind of like beautiful Mount Rose, Minnesota. Um, it's it's kind of it kind of cuts and pastes your experience on the game into the end sequence, and it's really impersonal. And a lot of people have mentioned that. It pissed me off. Yeah. Sixty hours into that game, <laughs> they give me an ending that's just cut and paste sections and stuff. And on top of that, once you finished it, there you go. That's all. You, you, can't, got, you don't go back into the world. I mean, for anyone who's actually finished it, obviously your character dies. But at the same time, it's like... Uh, you don't have to. I mean, you can let someone else do it for you. But then surely you should be able to carry on. Yeah, I mean, the patch is coming out on, yeah. um, I believe, in March to fix it so that you can actually... And this is on the 360 and the PC version. And they've decided not to do it on the, on the PlayStation 3 version. 
yeah. but the idea the idea is that you know you once you've got the patch you can then just continue from that save which isn't going to happen because most people would have brought the DLC if they're a big fan of the game and already got well beyond that on the save beforehand so sure I don't know right. um, yeah uh, I yeah. It's a feature where they've gone, right, we want multiple different endings. So, you know, so on the back of the box, it's like, yeah, you know, you can have a... 30, you know, 40 different endings. Well, it's more than that. It's like, you know, it's two, three hundred different versions of the how the game may finish, and yeah. all of them crap. Well, how so, come my one of mine had, like, a picture of me walking along with Dogmeat? I never met Dogmeat any time in the whole of the yeah. game. Yeah. Where's Dogmeat? Um, Dogmeat, <laughs> I've never found him, but he is somewhere in the wastelands. Oh, right, brilliant. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, just really disappointing. Yeah. I, just, I didn't really mind all that much. I actually thought the lead-up to it, where you're following around that Liberty Prime thing, it was like, Decepticons! And he just, you know, he was really kind of, you know, you wanted to get behind this big, shooty robot, and it was very kind of 50s B-movie, and it worked. I like that. Yeah. But uh, at, at the same time, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Still photographs. What the fuck? Still come photographs on. of some bloke going, ah, and he does, and... Okay, right. what were some of the best um, bits for you uh, regarding quests? I liked um, the the bit where you had to go in and kill that guy, that tree bloke. Oh, right, no, I know. I believe you had met in an earlier game. Uh, but he, yeah, it, it it seemed like overly um, uh, like it, it was overly aware that it was incredibly funny, and it was like, yeah, I call him Bob, blah 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 blah, blah stuff like that. So. Uh, it was alright. <laughs> I really like that bit that was alright. Your That's bits? You just said. Yep, totally. I love that bit that uh, was alright. Some of the decisions, I, I, I found the uh, slavery quest kind of funny because I played it from the good the good guide and the bad guide angle where you can either help these people or basically stick a collar around them and basically tell them that, um, you know, too, too bad, sucker, you're now a slave, you best run over there because you're about to blow up in five seconds unless you do, you do otherwise, which made me laugh. But uh, it's twisted sense of humour is, I guess, the kind of the best, the best thing of that game. But ha- having having to play a good person because if I play a bad person, I feel really shitty. Yeah, uh, well, that's the thing. Clear, they but... never really, it's never a real choice in games like that. You you very rarely play. Oh, I think I'll be good, or I think I'll be really bad. You only play bad if you're like, right, I want to see how horrible it can get, and it's just depressing playing like that. Yeah, I mean, you're playing in the most depressing environment possible and then and you're you're a bastard <laughs> to everyone and you you know take away a kid's favorite toys and then smash his mother up Ugh. christ even when you do a good deed to these people you kind of walk away and you're like yeah your life still sucks <laughs> i'm so sorry for you and it's just you you move on but you know so what i, I managed to find this woman her violin so she's going to play to herself in fact her husband died in like the you know of, of radiation poisoning it's going to add a tiny section to her life but yeah. really it's just, and you know, she just kept repeating the same lines over and over again anyway Mm. And did what, what did you do with Tenpenny Tower? Oh, I sent the ghouls in there, and that guy died. <laughs> I, Mr. Tenpenny, what a smug bastard he was! I I blew him away so many times, but then I just kept having to relog it and go back, and I kept trying to mediate, and eventually I got him to agree to uh, let everyone, you know, the ghouls stay in the tower. But then he disappeared, so I couldn't go back and kill him. And uh, he had a sniper rifle, which would have been kind of cool, but. Um, yeah, I, I sent the goals in. And they ripped everyone from limb to limb. Um, Shreds, you say? Yeah, and then it, the, it was not so great because it made the, the place pretty much you didn't ever want to go there again. But um, on the top, if, even if they do cohabit, eventually you go back and there are no humans left because the ghouls killed them all and stashed their bodies in the basement. Nice. 
So even if you're trying to be nice and get everyone to get along, the ghouls can't get along. They're cannibals. They're persecuted, dude. That's why I had this. this is but they're cannibals. <laughs> All I can say is the great thing about that, for doing that in that quest, like I got a ghoul mask, which meant I could go underground and no ghoul ever bothered me again because I looked like one. I was near the, uh, the end of the game at that point, so I didn't care. Mm. Um, I don't know. The, there were some other bit. I, I, I never got to see what happened when you were evil in Megaton, but I can pretty much guess you blow it up. Yeah. yeah. Apart from that, I mean, yeah, it was a great game. I just, I, I originally when I started playing it, I was like, well, I've got to play Oblivion after this. No way. Not happening. <laughs> fall outed out. Yeah, I'm all, you know, Bethesda'd out. I will play the next Bethesda game, but hopefully that'll be in the next three or four years. Oh, at least. I'm going to buy the DLC, but I'm going to wait until um, all the packs are out. I am. I, I really like the game, but I, I just I needed a break from it, and I've still got it, and I'm going to keep it by the DLC. But like three months down the line, when it's all out, and like, there's been a considerable break, and I feel like I can come back to this world and enjoy it again, a bit like Fable um, Fable Two. Yeah, sure. I think uh, on reflection, I actually kind of preferred Fable Two, even though it was stupid. Uh, the thing that really bugged me the most about Fable Two is when you walk into a house and you're talking to someone you're you know, having a conversation and then some fuckwits from the street come in and go oh i love that coat on you that's that's a nice haircut that is you like you just you wandered into my house fuck off still there stop <laughs> opposing marriage to me in front of my wife things like that you know so uh yeah um anyway anyway I could continue this conversation, but quite frankly, I'm going to go and play Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, I'm going to go and uh, play Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting Super Awesome with my new Hori stick. You too. smug bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, though. You should come on and play it. What do you want? Ah, uh, don't come round here.